Giraffe Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. Kevin, hello, hello. We, we, we were off for, for a week due to the holidays, but we are back. And, and man, has there been a lot going on, certainly in the scouting landscape with the kickoff of the college basketball season. But naturally, we, we have to reflect a little bit at some of the stuff going on in the NBA as well. Obviously, we got to talk about the Westbrook and Harden trade that happened last night. We're recording this on, on Thursday, December 3rd. So obviously that big trade to react to, but you had something that you wanted to bring up as well in terms of free agency transaction. What did you want to hit on quick? Can I, uh, can I give a shout out to triple B right now? All free balls in the NBA. Oh my God. So, you know so what? Proud of I should have known that's where this was going. I, I did not even think about Lee Angelo ball. Yeah. When you were talking to me about a free agency mentioned. Yeah. I guess it's an important accomplishment, yeah. right? I mean, LeVar did what he set out to do and, and did what he proclaimed he was going to do. So, you know what's the craziest part about it, too? If Leangelo can shoot the ball, he's the best shooter out of the three of them. He he is, in fact, the best shooter out of the three. I'm not sure that he's the best athlete. Oh, he's definitely not. To play in the NBA. But you are right about the shooting. Um, And honestly, Detroit kind of needs some, some shooting right yeah. now. I, I don't well, really they have know about 12 centers, right? They. They, they they have they have about six centers, five power forwards. It, it, it I don't know what they're doing over there right now. But it, big, big blessings up to Killian Hayes. He he's gonna have a lot to, to work with and figure out. Detroit uh, could very well be the worst team in the league. Yeah, I mean I I don't know what they're gonna do about Derrick Rose because uh, obviously you'd think that they'd probably move off of him to to give Killian Hayes the keys at some point during the year. So. Yeah, he, Killy Hayes could have a lot on his plate, so I, I certainly hope he, he figures it out and he has a, a successful rookie year. Um, I'm rooting for nothing but the best for all the NBA teams, let alone just Detroit. But um, LiAngelo is going to get his, he, he's going to have the opportunity to shoot if, if he gets some minutes. They're, they're, they're going to need some three point shooting, so I have no doubts about that. Um, Kevin, just just really quick, what were your thoughts on that that Westbrook? Harden trade last night because I, I told you. I think you mean the uh, Westbrook we John Wall trade. Yes, the the Westbrook John Wall trade, of course. Um, uh, Westbrook and Harden were already together. Yeah. We don't need to see that again. I think it's actually intriguing because I think John Wall pairs a little bit better with Harden than Russell Westbrook does. Not by like a lot, but I think by enough that it, I think it's a little bit noticeable. I think John Wall's a little less ball dependent in terms of the scoring atmosphere than. Then Westbrook is what well, you'd agree with that, right? So I I think he he kind of has to move more into that role, especially after coming off of a lot of these medical concerns, right? Like he can't be this ball dominant, you know, pound the ball away, dribble, dribble, yeah. dribble, get by somebody using his insane speed and quickness to get to the rim. He's not going to be that same kind of player, at least I don't think. I mean, we're going to obviously see yeah. him play in some NBA games. We're going to get a better idea of that, but I don't think he's going to be that same player. So if he is able to kind of change his – I believe in John Wall doing more to change his mm. style of game than I do Russell Westbrook, right? We, we yeah. kind of saw that Russell Westbrook ultimately couldn't change. He they, they had to go back to running an offense that was pretty much tailored exclusively around him, and he went back to putting up the all-NBA numbers, which is fine, great. He, he's a one-man show. He deserves all the respect in his own right. He's a yeah. great player, but – I, I just believe in John Wall to find ways to succeed better off the ball. He he is a better jump shooter than Russell Westbrook. I think that's that's pretty much statistically proven at the very least from three. But I even like his mid range pull up a little better than Westbrook sometimes. And I think he's a better free throw shooter overall. That used to be Westbrook. I have no idea what happened to Westbrook in the free throw line um, over the last like three years. But that that used to be his title. But yeah, I, th- I think John Wall just being able to contribute in more areas without the ball is going to help with Harden, and, and I don't think it, it's a wash. It's just, at, at the end of the day, we can talk about that and, and what could happen, but if those things don't happen, there's still these two very similar point guards that Bradley Beal and James Harden aren't really trading off anything, like, drastic, right? Like, yeah. like Beal still has to do the same things with Westbrook as he was probably going to have to do with John Wall, I guess, if it's a chemistry thing. And they're just changing it up because Beal and Harden wanted to play with different guys and, mm-hmm. and, and Wall and Westbrook just wanted to be in different situations. Yeah, chemistry obviously is important, right? But from, from a basketball standpoint, we're really going to have to see how it plays out because I, I don't think a lot 
really changes from a stylistic standpoint, but I, I could be wrong. When was the last time we saw John Wall play? I feel like it's been forever. Oh, gosh. So I saw the exact number on this on, on social media today, and it's been over 700 days. Yeah, like, I literally can't tell game. you the last time I saw John Wall play a game basketball. It's it, it's it's unreal. It's unreal that he's been gone for this long. He's been sorely missed. Um, he, he was one of my favorite players in the NBA for, for quite a while to watch. He was just so electric, so explosive. Um, he'd also get after it on the defensive end. Like he, he took defense personally. Yeah. Um, quite, quite a lot of the time that he was on the floor and not naturally him and Beal were such an electric backcourt. Some of those playoff series that Washington had, um, were incredibly fun to watch. And now I, I would have been really interested to see Wall come back in Washington because Beal is a completely, I don't want to say, I guess completely is not the best word, but he, he is a much better player than he was when we last saw him on the court with wall. I mean, I, I consider Bradley Beal, he, he has to be top 15 in the league. Maybe, maybe not. That would be an 10, interesting conversation to have. 15. Because I feel like term, the, I feel like it changes a lot based on what we saw in the bubble too, who's top 10 and top 15. Cause we saw a lot of emergence from people. Yeah, we might have to uh, we might have to do that as a little bit of an interesting exercise. Yeah, um, yeah. Even I, if it's off air, I, I think that's an interesting conversation to have because I feel like a lot of the top five is pretty set in stone. Yeah, there's some mm-hmm. people that go in, some people that go out of top five, but you know, most of the names are still the same. When you start mm-hmm. hitting that like ten to fifteen range, that's where you start seeing a lot of uh, variants. Yeah, I agree, but but I I think Beal's name is I I think he's firmly in the top fifteen. He's at the very least in the conversation, and that's not where Bradley Beal was the last time he was on the court with John yeah. Wall. So no, that, I agree that with you. Definitely changed, and it would have been interesting. But I guess, I guess there was too much there from a chemistry standpoint that they had to uh, switch it up. So we're yeah, see we're, we're not behind the it. scenes. We don't know what's going on. I guess that that is very true. We don't have Tommy Shepard's job. Um, <laughs> shout out to Shepard. I, I I really all the interviews I hear, um, everything that he's done, even the draft pick that he just made, we we certainly reviewed. Um, the Denny Abdia pick on, on the live stream that we did for the 2020 NBA draft. I, I really like the moves that he's done as a front office executive. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on the, the Westbrook trade. I, I'm going to let it play out and, and kind of see just from a basketball standpoint, how everything meshes together on the court. Obviously you're reuniting Russell Westbrook with, with Scotty Brooks. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to see how that relationship um, pl- plays out. So but who knows? The, I mean, the last time that those two were, were in the same organization, Westbrook won the MVP. So, yeah, and it's not like Westbrook – I don't think Westbrook's even fallen off at all. And maybe surrounding him by, like, a young team who can really learn from him is actually going to benefit Westbrook a lot. And, and that's – that. I'm actually really glad you, you brought that up because I wasn't even thinking about that originally. But I did have that thought earlier today I was, as I was doing a little more deep thinking on the trade was that Westbrook's a guy who just likes to go out there and compete and hoop, man. Like, like, none of the other stuff around him generally matters. He wants to try and figure out ways that, that he can play with the, the, the people around him. To yeah, the he best wants to win. Yeah, he just wants to win. He just wants to hoop. So what better situation than possibly to bring him into a young team with a bunch of guys who, quite frankly, they just want to hoop. Yeah. Right, Beal included. So Yeah, this is no disrespect to James Harden, but he has other priorities other than basketball, too. Like, he's not well, solely focused on basketball. Well, we, we, we've certainly heard some of those discussions, and I'm not sure we need to name those <laughs> establishments, as Logan Murdoch affectionately referred to them as. He has uh, other business ventures. He, he does have some other ventures. It, it's word on the street that, that John Wall has some other interests as well, so may, maybe that will be a dynamic pairing <laughs> in Houston for, for multiple reasons. We'll, we'll, unfortunately, I think we have to, to leave it at that. We're not going to dive too deep into the rabbit hole on that one, but um on today's show obviously that conversation had to be had because that was a blockbuster trade that that happened last night again we're recording this on on thursday december 3rd we're we're a week into the college basketball season a week into primetime scouting season i've i've watched close to 40 college basketball games up to this point i i I may or may not want to tear my eyes out soon if i if i don't get at least like a day break. There's more games on tonight. We're recording this before the USC UConn showdown where we have Evan Mobley um, going up against James Bonite in Kentucky. Um, and then we also have Florida playing again as well. Later after that against Boston College, we'll get another look at Trey Mann 
um, and some of those other interesting Florida prospects. So I'll definitely be watching some of that tonight. But just a really quick reflection. Obviously, I've marked a lot of prospects who I'm going to be grading throughout this process already and watching all of those games. I want to highlight 10 guys that I've given priority grading status to. And what does that mean, priority grading status? Well, in the in, in the coming weeks here, draftdeeper.com is going to be live. So there's naturally going to be the beginning of grading these prospects and handing out full reports to every prospect that I deem gradable for the 2021 draft class. So that's not only from a talent perspective, but also from the standpoint of, do I think these guys are not only just good enough to be in the draft class, but do I think they're going to declare and be a part of the draft class? Is there a strong enough chance for that to happen? So I have 10 guys right now that I've seen. Not that I don't necessarily have more guys that can enter that lottery conversation. Obviously, there will be more that we discuss over the coming weeks and months on this podcast. But these are 10 that I've seen. I've seen multiple games of already. And I'm confident that these are going to be lottery picks in this upcoming draft and are going to earn that kind of a grade. So let's start with probably the most obvious of these quote-unquote priority grades in Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham. Um, 6'8", 220 pounds, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant basketball player, right? The, his, his IQ is by far his biggest selling point um, offensively at the very least, but, but also defensively. I'll get into the defense in a second. Um, but offensively, when he has the ball in his hands, he's running the offense. You, you just you have absolutely no fear. You have no qualms that he, he's going to do the right thing. He's going to make the right play, whether that's go for scoring attempt himself, whether that sets somebody else up on a cut, drive, uh, get the ball even on an offensive rebound, pass it back out to the perimeter. He's going to do everything it takes on offense for his team to win games. And he's a cerebral operator in the mold in, in just from the IQ perspective of like a LeBron James, of like a Ben Simmons, like these high IQ guys that just know where to put the ball, how to time their passes, where they need to be on the court at all times. Uh, but that also plays into defense as well. And I think Kate Cunningham could be one of the most unique defensive weapons in this class period. Um, now I've been talking with a few people on social media. If you don't follow us on Twitter at draft deeper, I am always discussing basketball. I'm always talking prospects. I want to talk with you guys. If you guys have any questions, the DMS are open, please. You can talk to me almost anytime. Um, would love to keep conversing with, with some of the audience here throughout this draft process, but people are, are going to mention some other names in terms of unique defensive talents. A lot of those names are bigs, but Cunningham being that six, eight size, I think I'd rather have a defensive weapon that I know for a fact can hold it down one through four, can, can not get bullied by centers. I don't need somebody to be like, like a one five defender if I know for a fact that they're going to give me one through four, um, whether it's on ball, whether it's an off ball defensive situations. I'm going to get that from Kate Cunningham. We, we've already seen it in the few games he's played at Oklahoma State. Um, he, he's been a menace on the ball. He's been a menace off the ball. And I think I'm more interested in what he brings to the table from a defensive perspective right now than I am what he's doing on offense because it's so early in this evaluation prospect. And let me make this clear about a lot of these guys. It is way too early to jump off of anyone's bandwagon in this draft process. You have to give these guys time. You need to evaluate where they are now versus where they are in the middle of the season, and then ultimately where they end up at the end of the season. Um, there are three different parts of the schedule that you really have to hunker down, hammer home the fact that Cade Cunningham isn't going to be the same Cade Cunningham on day one than he is on the last day of the season, right? He's going to be a better, certainly offensive player because he's going to figure out um, how to pick his spots better, who he needs to get involved more often, how does he need to get himself involved in the offense more often. And that's going to happen with all of these guys that we're going to talk about today, everyone that we're going to talk about through the podcast um, in the coming weeks and months. That's going to be an evolutionary process as they get more familiar with the talent that they have around them, as well as the talent that they're going up against. So clearly, Cade has established himself as a top prospect in this draft class. Nothing I've seen is going to change that. The only thing I'll say on Cade 
and then we'll move on to the next guy that I have on the list here, is that I don't think he's this overwhelming number one pick favorite like a lot of people tried to bill him as coming into the season. I still think he has a ways to go in terms of his individual isolation scoring package. I I question when he's choosing to take that jump shot. I don't necessarily question the jump shot itself, although I want to see a few things change um, with his release mechanics. But overall, I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe he won't be able to shoot 35% plus from deep in time. Um, but he does have to work on that three-point shot. He does have to, to work on that pull-up jumper, figure out how to pick and choose his spots better. So those are just some things he needs to work on. But when he gets downhill, when he's in transition, he, he, he's a bull to the rim. He can definitely finish through contact. He's strong. He's agile. He's quick. Uh, maybe not the most explosive athlete, but he has enough open court speed. And then obviously quickness, um, weaving his way through the defense in the half court. He, he knows how to get to his spots um, and then ultimately finish at the basket and score along with passing, as I already mentioned. It's just choosing those spots a little better, being a little more timely on his scoring opportunities will, will be crucial for him moving forward as potential number one pick. Um, Speaking of another guy who actually chooses his spots really well, someone who I've been incredibly impressed with at the start of this process here is Jalen Suggs, 6'4", 205-pound guard um, out of Gonzaga. Uh, I was high on him coming into the season. Some people didn't have him really as like a potential top 10, top 8 prospect because they didn't know – exactly how he was going to lead Gonzaga from a floor general perspective. How much of a true point guard was he? Well, he he wiped away all those notions pretty fast. This man has been a savant with, with, with the basketball in his hands. I've been really impressed in terms of the reads he's been able to make. He's always playing at a good pace. He, he never rushes himself. Um, the, the only thing I'll say is sometimes he's been a little bit too competitive um, he, he's certainly chosen some spots that he probably shouldn't try to go all the way to the basket. He's had some charges called on him. Um, he, he's committed some dumb fouls defensively, but I'm okay with that right now because it shows that he's giving effort, right? It shows that he wants to win. It shows that he actually gives a shit about the game, and that couldn't have been exemplified more than last night. Again, I, I've said that we're recording this on Thursday, but when Gonzaga played West Virginia um, on Wednesday – and he had that injury when he where he was grabbing like the back of his heel. I thought, oh my gosh, when he went down, does he have an Achilles injury? Did he just rupture, potentially even tear his Achilles? He didn't look good. He was crying, I think, not out of pain, but definitely crying more out of frustration. The fact that he had to potentially come out of the game. What does this injury mean for the rest of his season, let alone the rest of his playing career? Um, that's where I think those tears came from. But I, I couldn't believe when I saw him jogging around um, in the tunnel, and then he actually came back out on the court and, and finished the game last night. We'll see if he's going to be um, a definite go against Baylor over the weekend here. Obviously, that's a huge game, number one against number two. Um, you'd think that Mark Few and the rest of the Gonzaga staff wants him playing in that game. I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do. I know it's like a primetime headliner game, but maybe for Jalen Suggs, maybe the best decision is to let him rest a little bit. Um, and, and make sure that he's going to be okay moving forward. I, I don't. I never agree with like full season shutdowns unless something's that serious, um, because in the NBA you can't exactly always shut it down for a full season. At some point, you're probably going to be playing through an injury, right? It's better to instill that in a prospect now, so long as it's not incredibly serious, than let them get to the league. They get used to this whole we can just take games off, take nights off. That's not the mentality I ever want a player to have. And I'm glad that Jalen Suggs isn't wired like that. Um, I think he already proved coming back into the game against West Virginia that he's as tough as nails. He's a competitor. He's a leader. Um, and, and I don't think he has to prove that by playing against Baylor if he's not up for the task or if the coaching staff or the training staff don't think it's a smart idea for him to play. I'm perfectly okay with him sitting. Um, but from that competitive standpoint, from that leadership standpoint, um, what he brings to the game from an, from an IQ perspective, just the way he's able to process the game, see those passing lanes, um, pick and choose his spots on offense. I, I've been impressed with what I've seen from his jump shot. He can pull up. He's, he's shown that he's a three-level scorer, um, an absolute dog. I, I'll tell you what, if I'm a team coming up with the number one pick and everything kind of holds true, he, he ends up being the same kind of talent from, from day one all the way to the end of the season – 
and, and you're a team that's just in desperate need of a leader. There's not a better player in this class than, than Jalen Suggs. If we're just talking about pure leadership, pure competitiveness, he's going to bring that from day one and he's going to galvanize the troops, make good decisions, get everybody else pumped for the game. You, you could tell, you could even tell against West Virginia when Jalen Suggs went out of the game it was completely different than when he came back in. Coming back in, he wasn't nearly as effective um, of an overall talent because he couldn't be. He didn't have that same burst and explosiveness. But even having him out there, being able to help with some of the decision-making, direct guys in traffic, um, just having him out there really changed the morale of the team, of Gonzaga. And I think there's something to be said about that. I've been very impressed with his leadership style. And he, he is going to be a top pick candidate for me moving forward. Um, and then we kind of get into the third guy that a lot of people have rounding out their top three early in this process is Evan Mobley, seven foot um, center prospect out of USC. I mean, he's got the full package. There, there, there's not much that you can really knock about his game. Everything he does inside the arc, I suppose that's really the only question mark I have is, how reliable is his three-point shot going to be coming into the league? Where is he at with it right now? I really haven't seen that from him um, at this early point in the season in college. But everything he's done inside the arc, whether it's scoring one-on-one, uh, whether it's pick-and-roll offense, whether it's finding a guy off of be like being active in triple handoff situations, finding other teammates for, for, for open looks off short rolls, um, finishing at the basket, pulling up, mid-range jump shots. I mean, he's quite literally done it all on offense and defensively he he could be the absolute upside play for most unique defensive weapon in the class because he might be the one guy that can guard one through five as well as be an elite rim protector along with all of the individual individual defensive accolades so you just look at a complete unicorn type package like that and you're going well why isn't he the overall favorite for the number one pick well he could be um, I, I think if you have the chance to get an elite guard or an elite wing, I think that's what's winning the most right now in the NBA. But I've never been one to just throw the bigs to the side. If the big is the best prospect in the class, if he's as unique of a talent as Mobley is, I mean, you, you, you might have to take him number one. And, and this process, again, we are so early in this process. I haven't even graded really sat down and fully graded any of these guys yet. I'm going off of just my first impressions and what I've seen. That's the whole point of this podcast. So Evan Mobley could very well emerge as the number one overall pick candidate by, by, by season's end. It wouldn't shock me in the slightest. That's kind of like my top three right now. Um, very close to that top three. The next guy on the list is Jalen Johnson, 6'9 forward out of Duke. Powerful, powerful athlete with the ball in his hands. You want to talk about wrecking ball downhill, finishing at the basket, finishing through contact. You just get that impression that nobody's going to stop him. Similar to what like Ben Simmons is downhill in the NBA. That's kind of what Jalen Johnson's is right now in the college game when he gets the right touches. Um, obviously the best, the biggest question mark for him coming into uh, the college season was his jump shot. I'm actually fairly sold on his jumper. Um, even his free throw stroke from the line. I, I actually really don't see a lot mechanically wrong with, with Johnson. I think that there are still some things he can improve um, on his follow through, but he has much better arc on his jump shot than he did um, in high school. He's clearly made some improvements there. He was even showing some, some off the dribble pull-up scoring in the mid range in, in these first few games for Duke. So that's actually not a big concern of mine. I think my biggest concern with Jalen Johnson, he shares the same concern that I have for another prospect that I'll get to later on in this list. It's just his overall feel for the game on both ends. Like the numbers that he put up in that first game, 19 points, 19 rebounds, five assists, four blocks. Obviously, he had the seven turnovers in that game, which was a major knock against him. But he put up those impressive, impressive numbers off of pure physical talent. Right. Like, I don't think his feel is as developed on either end of the court as maybe was advertised coming into this college season. He, he certainly has a lot that he has to learn, but it wasn't it wasn't things that I don't think are correctable from a few proper film sessions. I think that Jalen can do a lot of good for himself just sitting down, 
reviewing the film with the right people, taking a look at some of the spots that he probably could have been in when he had the opportunity to, to score, to better defend one-on-one, to help on the weak side. Um, but, but he is an impressive basketball player off of just pure talent, whether it's finding guys on the move, whether it's getting to the basket, some of that pull-up scoring I was talking about, um, timely blocking shots. He, he, he's proven to be one heck of a menace off the ball blocking shots. He, he is an impressive prospect in his own right, and I'm not going to rule him out of that number one pick discussion because I, I, I think if you have such a unique forward talent like Johnson, if he's even able to be mentioned in the same breath as someone like Ben Simmons, who at the end of the day was a number one overall pick coming out of LSU, I think you have to have him up there in that conversation. So I want to move past Jalen Johnson. We're going to get to the two Kentucky guys right here, um, Brandon Boston, as well as Terrence Clark, both 6'7", guards, small forwards, however you really want to label them. I I classify them both as guards right now, Um, but I think both in time will will put on enough strength, will put on enough bulk to be able to play up to the three as well. Uh, Both wiry scorers, but but they score the ball differently. Clark is much more of a natural slasher. He kind of has that wiggle to him to be able to maneuver through the defense and, and get to his spots inside the arc. And to me right now is not only a, a, a better guard at getting to his spots purely, but he he's also plays at a much better pace than I think Brandon Boston has leading up to this point. Uh, Brandon Boston's just seemed rushed. He, he seemed like he's trying to prove something, trying to score the ball in different ways, take some of these jump shots, take some of these shots off the dribble, maybe looking for his shot a little too much, not considering who else he has around him because he has a lot of talent around him. Um, Clark has just played at a much better pace. I've seen him a lot more willing to give the ball up than, than taking the shot himself. And while I buy Brandon Boston's jumper a lot more than I do Clark's, especially from range, even though the percentages aren't the best right now, I'm not going to put a lot of stock into numbers off of like two or three games, right? Um, it's more about what your eyes are telling you as far as how they're approaching the game, their feel for the game, and and really just what you're seeing, not necessarily just counting on a box score to tell you everything that happened, at least at this point. Um, Nor am I really looking at a lot of the synergy numbers either. I'm going to leave that till we have a few more games under our belt. But again, Clark, to me, has been the better player out of the two right now in college. Obviously, Boston still has the higher ceiling, and I'm probably going to end up ranking him higher as a prospect down the road because of the scoring potential from range that I mentioned. I think that's a clear advantage to his game. The, the NBA is always looking for guys in between 6'6 and 6'8 who can create their own shot from the perimeter, do a little bit more off the bounce. He, he's just really going to have to buy into making the people around him better and looking to get his other teammates involved more. And I did see that in high school. I don't think it's a fact that he always has tunnel vision. He always has blinders on. He literally doesn't see anything happen. It just looked like he wanted to prove something out there. So hopefully we get a little bit more balance from Boston in the future here. Um, but don't don't sell any stock on Clark either. He should absolutely be in the lottery conversation. I think he will be. That's why I'm labeling him right now as a priority grade. I, I just think in, in terms of his physical tools, his defensive tenacity, what he can do with the ball in his hands, the pace that he plays at, his decision-making. I, I, I'm buying a lot of Terrence Clark stock, and I'm buying more stock than I think a lot of people, a lot of other scouts are out there right now. So those are kind of my thoughts on the two Kentucky guards slash forwards. Um, I guess I'll just finish out Kentucky, and then we'll, we'll go to some of the other names on the list. we got to talk about Isaiah Jackson. 6'10 forward. Um, hasn't really done a lot in the scoring department. Hasn't really shown me a lot of touch around the basket as much as I'd like, away from the basket, from the free throw line. Um, he, he just I, I don't think he's going to be a big-time scorer. He could certainly develop a few more things as the year goes on and as his career progresses. But right now, you're looking at him because he is arguably the most elite-level athlete in college. He is ferocious on the glass on both ends. His second jump, by far and away, the best that this class has to offer. He has a nose for the ball. And, and his shot blocking prowess as well. He is an impressive 
shot blocker, whether he's just standing there on a post up waiting to time his jump properly. And obviously his length, his wingspan gives him an edge when he does time that jump well to be able to just swat a ball into the stands. Um, whether it's that, whether it's coming over on the weak side, going for a block shot, he is a terror on, on defense. Also one of the more unique defensive weapons we're probably going to have in the entire class. Um, he, he's on pace. Some of his numbers in terms of his total rebounds and his total blocks, he's on pace to, to kind of get into Anthony Davis territory as far as Anthony Davis's impact on defense in college. That's special. That cannot be taken lightly. I didn't have Isaiah Jackson as a priority type grade coming into the season, a guy that I was watching to be in like that lottery conversation. But I'll tell you what, when, when you have that kind of a prospect defensively, it's hard to, to leave him out of that conversation. So I'm going to have him there. I think he's going he's gonna to definitely keep his spot as the season goes on. And if he starts showing us anything more offensively than he has in his bag, especially any kind of like jump shot, or even if he can tick that free throw percentage up to around like the low to mid 70s, he is really going to rocket up people's boards. And, and I want to get in early. So talking about two other bigs, First, I'm going to hit on Charles Bassey, 6'11 center from, from Western Kentucky. Um, he, he's, he's had a time in college. He's had an interesting career so far in college. Obviously, last year, um, he came back to school, didn't, get, didn't quite get to make the mark that he wanted to because he got injured and, and missed the majority of the season. But he's come back now. This is the best physically that I've ever seen Bassey. Um, as I mentioned, 6'11, 230 pounds, big, strong, muscular frame. And he's an elite level athlete as far as recovery quickness people want to talk about how quick you are from a spot moving forwards but when he gets beat and he has to rotate and then move quick backwards he's the best big that i've seen in this class other than isaiah jackson as far as recovery quickness and then being able to still alter and change a shot when he gets beat off the bounce initially bassie's motor his nose for the ball, obviously, on the boards, his ability to block shots, the kind of threat he brings in the transition game, his pick-and-roll finishing, he can finish through contact. He, he is truly one of the most impressive bigs in this class. I have a question that could be related to him coming up. I'm going to do a little bit of a mailbag as soon as I get through the rest of these guys. Uh, but Bassey has really come out and impressed me heavily right out of the gate, and I think he's going to be in the conversation for um, one of the best big men in, in the country and in this draft process as the year moves along. Um, Greg Brown, 6'9", listed at 6'9", big out of Texas. Uh, one of the more interesting prospects in this class because physically he isn't lacking anything. Um, he, is, he is as quick of a player at his size as they come. Um, not the most built body, but he's already at, I believe his list weight, he's already at 205 pounds. He probably is going to end up comfortably adding about another 20, 25 pounds onto his frame and time. So he, he's going to be a problem from a physical standpoint. Um, the, the real question with him is, and this comes back to the Jalen Johnson argument, is how much of the game is he able to understand and process right now? How quick is he going to be able to make decisions with the ball in his hands? Does he always recognize where he needs to be both on offense as well as defense? His entire case as an NBA prospect is about feel. We, we knew coming into the season that he wasn't the most polished basketball player. He was a pure athlete still figuring out how to most effectively position himself to be a good to great to elite basketball player. So I think coming into Texas, if you thought that he was going to be more than what he's shown in some of these games, maybe having a few eye-popping moments here and there, putting up some good numbers here and there, but not having the kind of impact over a 40-minute game that you, that you thought um, from one of these more experienced prospects that I mentioned above, like a Cunningham or a Suggs or a Mobley, then, then you were mistaken coming into this evaluation process from the start. He was always going to be an athlete. He's going to need some seasoning time, but he is someone I'm confident will be a much different player day one versus the end of the season. I think he's going to be a lot better of a basketball player later on in the year. I think that Texas team is one of the strongest in the country, period. I think they're a much bigger threat to win the Big 12 than people might have thought coming into the year. And I think with that winning experience, with having some of those guards around him, um, like a Matt Coleman, like an Andrew Jones, experienced college guards who know how to not only get to their spots, but also get other people in position to succeed. Um, playing next to a guy like Kai Jones, who can also protect the rim in his own right. Certainly someone we're going to talk about um, as the weeks come in, in this podcast. 
having another big next to him to be able to rely upon along with like a Jericho Sims so that Greg Brown can be a little more free to play defense and space and take advantage of some of his quickness, play some of those passing lanes and force some turnovers. Um, I think that's also going to help his development and some of his off ball instincts as well. So someone that I still have stock in, some people are jumping off of his bandwagon. I already made the point. Why are you jumping off of anyone's bandwagon? We're only like two or three games in. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm going to hold all my Greg Brown stock. And, and he's someone that I really am intrigued to see develop over the coming weeks. Um, and last but not least, we have Zaire Williams got to make his debut in the Maui Invitational for Stanford. 6'8", 185-pound wing. Slender frame. I got to be honest, I'm not impressed with, with Zaire physically. I, I think if you play him up a position like at a three or a four, like a forward spot, I think there's a heavy chance that he can get bullied physically, especially in the NBA, by some of those matchups that he would have to guard. I mean, can you imagine Zaire Williams having to guard somebody like LeBron James on the break. I mean, LeBron's a freight train. He will barrel over um, Zaire Williams. That's going to be an and one all day long. So I'm, I'm not sure how much bulk he can add onto that frame. Again, very slender frame from, from shoulders all the way down. So I think from Zaire's perspective, he just needs to get stronger. He needs to get as strong as he possibly can, which naturally physical development, he, he, he's, he's very young. That's going to happen over time, over the next four or five years. I'm sure he'll improve his strength base and in turn, he'll be able to potentially guard up a position and handle more physical matchups. But for what he is now, you can label him as like a six, eight guard. And he has one of the most intriguing scoring packages out of any prospect that we've talked about his, his shot from three point range. He has deep range on his jumper. That was evidence off the catch off the dribble in his first few games at Stanford um, then you kind of, he, he works his way in. He's able to pull up in the mid range comfortably, good looking stroke jump shot reminds me a lot of Lonnie Walker's another, another jump shot that I loved coming out of college into the NBA. Um, I, I don't think there's anything mechanically stopping Zaire Williams from putting up some impressive shooting splits, um, from about 15 feet all the way out past the three point line, all the way out even further. He could really challenge some of those brighter NBA stars, the, those real gunners that like to take threes from like logo territory. I think in time he could be one of those more impressive shooters, man. I, I'm not putting a ceiling on how well Zaire Williams can shoot the ball um, has enough of a finishing package, has enough of a handle to be able to create off the dribble, create separation from guys to, to go into his bag to some of those mid range pull-ups. I, I'm really impressed by what Zaire showed me. Obviously he had some struggles as we got further into the Maui invitational tournament, but he's young game number three he'll be fine he's gonna have plenty of impressive moments as the season goes on certainly showed a few playmaking chops that i didn't quite know he had the last time i saw zaire before he stepped uh, on on the court in a stanford uniform he seemed a little too ball dominant a little too shot happy for for my liking that's why i wasn't as high on him as some other people coming into this season but he he's shown enough to me to to, to warrant all of the hype and, and the conversation about him as a priority grade moving forward. So that kind of closes out my list of 10 guys that I wanted to make sure I highlighted on this podcast. Again, not going too in depth, just giving some of my first impressions. So I want to close out the podcast with some mailbag questions that I actually got. Um, I, I shared on Facebook, on Twitter, um, and some of the Facebook groups that, that the page is involved in that I wanted to do a little bit of a mailbag, answer some people's questions. I think I'm going to make that a weekly thing. So if you ever have questions, again, you can DM us on Twitter at DraftDeeper. You can email us, draftdeeper at gmail.com. I'm always happy to answer anyone's questions because that's what I want to use this platform for the most. I want to use it as an educational and a conversational platform where I get to interact with all of you and we get to have conversations. That's what makes all of this more fun, right? When we're talking to each other, when we're debating, we're sharing opinions, um, educating each other, that, that's where we get the most out of the whole point of this platform. So first mailbag question I had was very interesting. How has and will COVID affect the scouting landscape this year? And what's my outlook on the situation as a whole? Great question. So a big reason why I've gotten off to a better start in terms of the amount of games that I've watched already. Again, I mentioned that I'm at, I'm at almost 40 games already through a week. I don't know how much more live basketball we're going to see if some of these outbreaks keep happening. 
Um, if college basketball has to get shut down at some point, they're not able to play the tournament to its fullest potential um, or at all, maybe at all, like they did last year, like they weren't able to last year. I don't know how much more time I'm going to have to evaluate these prospects in live settings before we move to go to this whole virtual combine going off a of he said, he said, she said reports, workouts, the whole nine yards. So I want to take in as much game film as possible while I have it. Um, and that's probably the biggest effect it's going to have on the scouting landscape is obviously if there's shutdowns because of COVID, that just limits the amount of film access that we have. And, and you can go back and, and watch games at, at any point in the scouting process. There's platforms like Synergy. You can record stuff on DVRs, however you watch your film. Um, there's multiple ways to do it, but I like taking in as much at the time of play as I possibly can. So I think my advice to anybody out there who is concerned about what's going on with COVID, how it might possibly affect the rest of the season. Get, get as much film in now as you can, man. Have your notes ready. Have your evaluations ready. Um, and, and, and just be prepared for anything to happen. It's the best advice I can give. Um, next question. Who is the best center prospect this year? As of right now, very early, I'm still going to go with Charles Bassey. He's the best pure big man that I've seen. There are a few other intriguing talents out there. Uh, we talked about Isaiah Jackson, if you want to consider him a big. Obviously, Evan Mobley. Uh, we're going to list him as a center. I think Mobley could actually be better served as a power forward, um, getting him on the Anthony, to Anthony Davis development train as soon as possible. I, I think he could be a really intriguing four next to a true five. If he had somebody to play with, like a Charles Bassey, I think there's so much more that Evan Mobley can do on both ends, um, whether that's on the ball or off the ball that would make him such an intriguing pairing with another true big. So I think by season's end, I'm probably going to list Mobley as like a forward, not necessarily a true five, although he can play the center spot. So if we're talking just like pure big, and that's what I go off of as far as the definition for center, I'm going to go with Charles Bassey right here. We'll see if that changes. Um, but Bassey, however you want to classify Mobley, I think those are the two names that you have to have in, in that conversation right there. Um, Third, what pro position will Kate Cunningham play? Any person who's been listening to this, pot, this podcast, when I first talked about Cade, notice I said a position clarification for everybody but Cade to start. I did that for a reason. I wanted to wait for this question because I knew this question was coming. Um, I've had this conversation with a few people in private circles as well as on social media. Everyone wants to label Cade as a guard because of what he can do as like a floor general, leading a team's offense, bringing the ball up the court. I want to see Cade more as a wing prospect with two guards in the backcourt next to him to be able to take advantage of his playmaking, play with more speed, get out and transition a lot easier. And if you have Cade, not necessarily at the point of attack on defense from like a point guard spot, but have him out on the wing playing more as like a rover in an off ball role, kind of like what we, how we've seen like a Matisse Thibel have that kind of success. Obviously Kate Cunningham is in the same kind of defender right now as Matisse Thibel is or was, but having him in that like quarterback style role defensively, having him kind of away from the point of attack, being able to, to utilize his IQ to kind of make call outs, help the center, get everybody organized and in position on defense. I think that's where Cade can thrive the most from a positional standpoint. Um, obviously, in today's, in today's NBA, in your offense, you can have anybody technically bring up bring the ball up the floor. I don't know if that necessarily pigeonholes you into a position or not, so I'm not worried about classifying a prospect on the offensive end. But defensively, I've always known position classification as who you can guard is the position that you play. So with that in mind, if I believe that Cade's best role overall is on the wing, then I'm going to classify him as a wing, and I think I've already mentioned him as a wing prospect in, in certain areas, I think that's how I'm going to look at him moving forward. And that's what I would do with Cade if, if I was running a team and, and I drafted him. If you want to label him as a guard, fine. I'm not going to argue with it because of his, his point guard intangibles and his instincts, but that's just how I personally would classify him, and that's how I would use him. Um, who is Kentucky's best prospect? So we pretty much talked about the top three, uh, Brandon Boston, Terrence Clark, Isaiah Jackson, Right now, it's B.J. Boston. I'm not going to rule out Isaiah Jackson from taking that spot as Kentucky's best prospect because of his immense defensive impact on the floor. 
um, at, at that big position, at kind of like that hybrid 4-5 spot, you want to have an elite defender, as elite of a defender as you can possibly find, who can guard multiple positions, who can switch and pick and roll, simultaneously protect the rim. Jackson's one of those few guys that is athletic enough and, and quick enough to be able to do that. So I guess when you're drafting, it all depends on what you're looking for for your team, whether you just want to take the best player available um, or you're looking for a better fit or possibly a more transcendent fit. Again, Brandon Boston's a wing. It's hard enough to find potentially elite wing scores in a draft class as it is, let alone even while the NBA is thriving and you're like a, you're like a pro personnel scout and you're trying to identify major wing scores to bring into a franchise, that job's hard enough. So maybe Brandon Boston is winning the argument. Maybe he's always going to win the argument, but I'm not going to rule out Jackson, especially if he continues to show more on offense. Um, how many all-star players do I see in this draft? How many from the previous draft? I don't love this question because I think it's far too early to project something like that, especially where we're at for this class in this draft process. But what I can tell you is, even though some of these guys have had their struggles already in the few games that they've played, don't sell stock on any of them. There is potentially like a top 20 that I can see like holding down the NBA for the next like 12 to 15 years. And, and leaving its mark, not only from just like a good player standpoint and a valuable pick standpoint, but from the fact that I think a decent number of these guys could be all-stars. Um, I, I don't know if I see a lot of like the all-star caliber player from the last class. I think there's about like a handful of guys that I would comfortably put there. Um, I'm still obviously going to be high on Cole Anthony. I've stood, I've stood on that soapbox enough on this podcast and on this platform um, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball. Those to me are like the top four in terms of like pure all-star potential that I see right now. Some other guys could creep into that conversation depending on their, their continued fits with their team, how things emerge around them. Um, we, we've talked about undervalued picks, certainly on the live stream that we did for the draft. Denny Avdia obviously is somebody that I can see maybe having an all-star level impact at some point for Washington, given the talent he has around him and the strengths that he can bring from his position. Um, but so probably about like that, that, that four to five range for the last class, this class, the sky's the limit. I, I, I could, I could say 10 plus I could be dead right about that. I could be dead wrong in terms of there could be even more. Than, than just like 10 or 11. I, I, I truly, I, I want to wait to see how this draft class develops, how I feel answering that question um, closer to like March, April, May, June. But right now, I think the sky's the limit for a, a great number of these guys, even guys that we haven't talked about yet. And then last but not least, um, this was an interesting question. Shout out Jacob Birkinshaw over the Overstated NBA show. We've had him on here plenty. If you haven't listened to any of those pods or don't listen to the Overstated NBA show, Subscribe to them wherever you get your podcasts. They're, they're fantastic. I love having um, all those guys on the pod. But prospects I've been most right and most wrong about. So when, when, when he asked this question, I asked him, so do you want me to talk about a guy that I've maybe been so right on that not enough people had high enough on their draft boards? And that was kind of the direction he wanted me to take that question. So Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a really great answer for me. Um, I was really high on him coming out of high school, out of all the point guards in his class. I wanted to see Shea the most because he just did things on a basketball court offensively. You couldn't really explain how he did them and how he got to certain spots to make things happen, but he just did it, right? And to some scouts that I worked with during that season to evaluate, they saw that as a negative. I saw that as a positive. Um, just because we haven't seen something before and we can't explain it doesn't mean it's not a positive and doesn't mean it can't bode well for his future. So Shea obviously showed that he has a ton of skill in his bag, um, especially that second half of that Kentucky season when he really got handed the keys and that team fully became his. And that's carried over into the NBA today. He's one of the most intriguing young guards that we have in the league. And I think he's due for an all-star caliber year within the next season or two. I really think he's that special of a player. So um, I'll hang my hat on Shea Gilgis-Alexander as somebody that I was high on before the college season started and then ultimately by drafts in. I guess I could throw Zion Williamson into that mix too, um, even though he was like a top five, top six guy coming into that college season with Duke. 
Um, I had him as my number one overall pick going into the season because I thought that his basketball IQ, the skill that I saw him display in high school games, I thought that was all terrific. I thought he was more of a complete package than just like a dunker and, and a rim runner. And he showed that, right? Like the, his most wow moments in college were him making some absolutely ridiculous passes and, and plays on the move where you go, oh my gosh, is he potentially like this this overwhelming physical presence who is also like a ball distributor? And again, I saw some of that in high school and that's why I was like, um, if this guy's going to put up like 20 and 10 in his sleep and he's also going to throw in like five or six assists on top of his potential defensive playmaking ability, we haven't seen a lot of that so far in the NBA, but we certainly saw a lot of that in college. I think he was arguably the best defensive playmaker coming out of that draft class along with um, somebody like a Thibel. I, I think the sky's the limit for, for Zion. I felt that way coming into that year. So I guess you can kind of throw him in that boat too. So Zion and SGA were just two really good hits. My worst draft evaluation, the prospect I was the most wrong about was Josh Jackson coming out of Kansas. Um, I don't think it was anything talent related. I don't think it was anything basketball related. I just, I didn't have all the information that I probably needed to make a judgment call of what he did or didn't bring off the court to where I had him very, very, very high on my board, but I clearly shouldn't have because he had a lot of issues that he was dealing with off the court. Obviously that hurt his ability to garner um, the attention of NBA evaluators and NBA coaches at the next level. It, it inhibited him from playing a lot of minutes to further develop the aspects of his game that, that haven't been there. Now he's making somewhat of a comeback. Shout out to Josh. Um, I, I'm really happy for him that he signed um, a contract with Detroit and he's probably going to get a good opportunity to have some significant minutes for them played and a significant role. So I'm happy for you, Josh. I'm rude for you. I want nothing but the best for you. But as of right now, I have to say I was wrong about his evaluation. He hasn't been a potentially all-star level uh, wing prospect because he hasn't really given himself the chance to be one off the court. So that's where I'm going to leave this podcast. Again, I, I thank everyone out there for listening to this first show of the 2021 NBA draft season. If you haven't already, subscribe to us over wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, keep the discussion going. I will be in touch on this platform as well as all of our other platforms in the coming weeks when draftdeeper.com is ready to launch and ready to go. I'm so excited for that. You guys are going to love all the information that we're going to be pumping out over there. And I might have another significant surprise for you in the coming weeks as far as this podcast. So stay tuned. Thank you everyone again for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.